All right, and welcome to Pints and Politics. Pints and Politics is many things. First of all, we are a weekly panel discussion program on Trent Radio, CFFF in Peterborough, uh, Ontario, 92.7 FM. Pints and Politics is also a podcast posted at pintsandpolitics.ptbopodcasters.ca. You can also listen or subscribe by searching Pints and Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. We explore all things political with a focus on life in Peterborough and in Ontario. Since March, we've been gathering together online for these discussions. The discussion to which you're about to listen to was recorded on Monday evening, August 31st. So joining me for this online discussion tonight are three members of our regular politics panel. You know them all. Property manager and businesswoman Jenny Lancio, Curve Lake First Nations counsellor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair Sean Conway, and Peterborough This Week journalist and former mayor of Peterborough, Sylvia Sutherland. So thanks to all for joining me this evening. Now, uh, we're going to start this half-hour chunk with a debrief of, well, focus on federal politics, but we're going to start with a debrief of the conservative leadership vote and then segue into the uh, Liberals' uh, turbulent summer, if we may. Uh, So to the leadership vote. Now, the leadership vote was, of course, just over a week ago, eight days ago, and I've pulled up the uh, chart that's uh, on Wikipedia, and it shows the first ballot, second ballot, third ballot results. And one thing that puzzled me was that on the now we all know that uh, of course uh, Leslin Lewis was a surprisingly strong candidate. In fact, on the second round, she had the highest number of votes, popular votes, the highest percentage of popular votes. But uh, two columns over, the points allocated, she came in third. Now. What is this points allocated system? How did that work during the leadership ballot? In other words, why did she win the popular vote and yet come in third and therefore was eliminated in the, after the second ballot on the points allocated? What does that, how's that system work? Sounds like the Electoral College, but Sean can explain it. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Sylvia. Sean here. The way that they set up the system uh, with the new Conservative Party leadership elections is they allocate 100 points to each of the 338 electoral districts across Canada. And uh, depending on on sort of who's someone's first choice, second choice, third choice, uh, so the first choice votes would be tallied in that first round. So say Peterborough, I think it was, you know, 200 and some odd points for Dr. Lewis and then However, a hundred and some odd points for Peter McKay and and three hundred some odd points for Aaron O'Toole. The way that works out, if you get thirty uh, percent of the vote in each riding, you'd get thirty points, uh, and the other candidate get twenty, and so on and so forth through through the uh, through the ballot. So after the first ballot, if someone didn't get fifty plus one, they then drop out the lowest amount of points, and that in this case was Derek Sloan. And then the second round ballots would be counted. So who they uh, chose as their second choice would be added in and so forth and so forth. So, Dr. Lewis's votes were more dispersed across the country? Yes. 
Oh, okay. Um, right. And was able to reach a larger audience than, say, Derek or uh, in, in some cases, Peter and Aaron. Now that we're a week away from that, and of course, uh, O'Toole won, how can can he keep the party together like Harper did? Like what what sort of conservative is he? because it's it's a large tent, the conservative party, right? From yeah, Sylvia here. I I think he is much more a centrist conservative than he portrayed himself in order to win the nomination. Uh, his campaign was very clever. Uh, they went after really the second ballot votes. Right. And and that's what uh, what put him over in the end. And he uh, he made a very good speech that night. And the next day, the press conference was interesting in which he tried to put away right away the the issues of a woman's right to choose and, and the rights of the gay community, the initials. And and whether or not he can do that, because he's he's going to, I think, allow the issues to be raised by his party. But he put himself, I think, back where he belongs sort of toward the center of the he's not a far right conservative he's not a so con i don't believe he is yeah uh and and uh we'll t- probably talk about this later i i think well if you read an absolutely brilliant column yes i saw that brilliant column today in fact <laughs> now but it's in thursday's fever this week an old friend of mine who uh who uh was very prominent in his day i won't say who it is uh right. said it's a man but in any event, uh, he commented, he sent his emails out regularly, and he commented that he listened to the speech that night, listened to O'Toole, and he says, for this liberal, this guy's trouble with a capital T. Yes, I saw that in your column. Yeah, trouble with a capital T. Interesting. Now, how will the other parties respond to him? Do we, any inklings of that? Jenny, do you have any inklings of that? <laughs> uh, no, I was just going back to, wanted to go back to the question that Bill had just asked about kind of your first impressions of him. And coming from a house where we've never voted conservative, Certainly his stance on reproductive rights and gay rights was enough to make my husband go and read his 50-page platform. Because the the stumbling point with myself and in our home has always been the conservative social platform. I mean, right now talk is cheap, right? Like I think he's just, like all politicians, he's just saying whatever he needs to say to... Except for you, Sylvia, you know, to to garner enough interest to kind of get people to at least listen to what he has to say. But I have to say I was marginally impressed with his stance on, in particular, reproductive rights, because that's always been, you know, a sticking point with me with the Conservative Party. So it'll be interesting for me to see if he continues on with his stance on social platforms or if he's just saying what he personally believes in, and then the rest of the Conservative Party is just going to maintain status quo with those issues. Well, it depends, it depends how that plays out in, 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 the, uh, in the House. Mm-hmm. Uh, just one, let me just add one thing at Sylvia again. Uh, another comment made by another liberal friend of mine, whom I will name because he, uh, he identified himself on my Facebook page, the former mayor of Penetang Machine, who, was, who ran in the last provincial election as a liberal and, and lost. But uh, but his comment was uh, more or less like my other friends. But he said that he thinks he's really dangerous because he said my my, my wife met him and he's instantly likable. Well, Sean, I was gonna I was gonna add to that twofold. 
Aaron O'Toole uh, was first elected, I believe, in a by-election in 2006 in Durham, which was his father's riding for, for many years. Uh, his father, John O'Toole, was the MPP uh, for a very long time and, and a, well, a well-known person of, of his era. And I had uh, I have some friends, uh, NDP politicals, who have worked on a number of by-election campaigns across the country and said exactly that. When you meet Aaron O'Toole, he's a very nice man and he's a very reasonable, reasonable fellow. And he doesn't give off the the SoCon vibe. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I read an interesting article, I believe, by uh, former late aide uh, Carl Belanger a couple days ago, talking to how O'Toole's tough on China bit is also going to be popular, not only with with central liberals, but also uh, with some of the blue-leaning orange voters that are right. in the rural areas. Sure. Um, and that really, uh, he's he's been one of the more vocal voices in, in talking about democracy in Hong Kong and, and all of those issues, which from an international socialist perspective are very important right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's really, it's really funny that, that these, these are, these are the places where it comes from, but politics makes strange bedfalls. Sean, it's interesting you say that because I know we have had a few times in the conversations over the last two years where you have, um, talked about the synergy is too strong a world, but the, the, uh, the parallelism in, in parts of rural, rural Canada between conservatives and NDP, the distance is far shorter than urbanites would assume. The NDP was founded, uh, you know, prior to the CCF as the, the merger of farmers and labor. And right. blue-collar voters and uh, the agriculture community are right now, you would consider the bedrock of the Conservative Party of Canada, where uh, those roots roots come from the, the farmer labor parties and the uh, and the CCF, which which gave birth to the NDP. So there are a lot of cases, even with the history of Peterborough's riding, I'd say prior to 1993, where the back and forth was always in, in the in the, the old Peterborough riding. It was it was always Tory NDP. I was just wondering while we're talking about the NDP, if this isn't going to be a good opportunity for the NDP party and Mr. Singh to make some fairly serious inroads. I think the transition, I think, I'm sorry, Sylvia, but I think the luster of our prime minister is very quickly fading for the liberal. I would not argue that. I am not doing that at all. And I feel like it's maybe an easier transition for a liberal to kind of swing by way of the NDP than to jump over, no matter how nice Mr. O'Toole is. I'm sure he's a lovely man, but I still... I, I'm not sure if if people trust them enough right now <laughs> no, to, but to jump onto the O'Toole ship just because he said a couple of things that maybe resonate with liberals. No, you're quite right. But the reality is the stronger the NDP is, usually the weaker the liberals are. And that will be to O'Toole's advantage, conservative advantage. You wait. <laughs> Well, I think there's uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of truth in what everyone's saying, Sean here. And. I think it's a real opportunity for the NDP to come out and to continue to push the message that they're holding the liberals uh, to account in their role as opposition and pester the liberals to increase spending, to uh, increase the availability of assistance for Canadians. I think we've seen a bit of that already with just today's uh, extension of the CERB again uh, and also looking to 
some of those holes that are going to be uh, missed through the transition to EI. I believe there's still 1 million workers who are who will be unaccounted for from the, the new plan or right. the transition to EI, which is mostly, you know, artists and musicians, gig workers, contract workers, part-time workers right. who are who are still going to be left behind by that new threshold. Although right. as impressive as it is, most of this action has has been because of pushing by the by the NDP with the you know the student benefit with with the CERF itself and and a number of other pieces that that Canadians have come to rely on in the last couple of months. So if the NDP can continue that pressure and to really own that that action being happened, especially with a confidence vote and perhaps a fall fiscal update, I think they're in good shape. Okay, well let's transition to. What else is going on in Ottawa? Am I wrong in um, characterizing the Liberal summer as a rather nasty one? What do we make of it? Was prorogation the only card they could play? Christia Freeland's star seems to be rising in the heavens. And I don't know where Justin Trudeau's star is. What is going on? Sylvia, please. It's, it's, uh, well, I love there was a cartoon. I don't know if it ran in the Examiner or where it ran, but they had the prime minister. They had Trudeau in the center and his cabinet, and every member of his cabinet was Christian Freeland. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I commented once before, I don't know why he doesn't move out of his office and let Christian Freeland move in. But, um, no, I, and uh, that doesn't, well, I, I won't. I think Jenny said it accurately a few minutes ago. Uh, Trudeau's star is not rising at at the moment. I think it's uh, the prorogation. Uh, you could justify it in, in in one sense, in that you know COVID threw a whole you know changed entirely any direction the government you know intended to take. So it there was time for a reset. So you could justify prorogation perhaps on that. But the other thing is prorogation also, though, closed down the committees, probably to the advantage, or at least they would hope, to the advantage of the of the government that was were examining the Wee scandal and others. Uh, I right. think in the end prorogation will be a will be a non-issue period. And I, I think you know, Sean, you were saying that the NDP are in good shape. They are. I. For your description, uh, clearly, probably, in one sense, but financially, not in the other. And and uh, I suspect they don't want to rush into a fall election. O- O'Toole has been, uh, has been, he's not looking for one, but he's ready for one. And I think, it, it depending on what happens in New Brunswick and maybe even Saskatchewan, I think, I, I my feeling is it's very foolish if we're looking, to, you know, there's a lot of talk about a fall, a quick a snap election. I think the person who who drives that election will pay the penalty for it. Now, now, what about the uh, the sort of disappearance of, of uh, Mr. Morneau? We'll come back to uh, catch you in a moment, Sean. Oh, Mr. Morneau, one wonders what in the end the relationship was between Trudeau and Morneau. Morneau, whether he, I suspect he and Trudeau may have been headed in different directions when it came to that portfolio. And uh, he was, of course, under some fire, justifiably, for not declaring a conflict. And he, uh, his life doesn't depend on politics, and, uh, quite clearly. And he, and he has not gone to head the organization. I suspect he wants to head. And and Freeland, you know, there's a people are saying, oh well, she has no background in economics, etc. Uh, you know, she she she. she 
you know, she she negotiated our trade deal with the states. Yes. Of economics intelligence, I have to be involved in that. And also as a journalist, she was involved in covering. Managing editor of the Financial Post. Right. You would think you'd have some. You'd I mean, have some, but you'd probably run a corner store. Right. Sean, you, you, you were wanting to get in. Yeah, I just I wanted to get in on onto the misnomer that the NDP is broke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here. <laughs> the, since since the election uh, of last year, the NDP's raised uh, close now to nine million dollars mm-hmm. um, in in just in just cash cash donations, which is all but obliterated our campaign debt and uh, the way that the NDP is set up is we can always leverage our assets. That was the purpose of, of buying the Leighton building is it could always be mortgaged to run an election. And, um, you know, party director Ann McGrath, you may remember from the office of Premier Notley, uh, has now taken the reins of the federal party uh, and is whipping them into shape for being able to run consecutive elections if if need be and has done a bit of the tour through uh, through the media in the last couple of weeks saying exactly that. And I think I think it's strategic in one way because as as much as as perhaps the the liberals may want to try to play play uh, uh, chicken with the NDP, the NDP is prepared to play chicken with the liberals as well. Right. It's okay. Can I'm you- just going to say as far as the prorogation goes, you know, unless you're a real liberal junkie and know the ins and outs of it and all of the intricacies about why they would do something like that, the optics for the average bear is it got too hot in the kitchen and that's it. He hauled out of there. Well, the optics may be absolutely correct. You know, like, I think Opposition that, controlled committees. Like, oh. yeah. Ah, yes. right. Because yeah, remember, uh, Trudeau... Trudeau ran. I'm trying to be a pretty nonpartisan here, actually. Trudeau ran. <laughs> no, really. I, I consider myself basically nonpartisan. Never mind, I ran for the Liberals. But right. The, uh, uh, you know, uh, Trudeau had promised no prorogation. Right. Now, and if I recall, he <clears throat> held up the Communist Party of Canada as being the model of no prorogation back in the Harper years when he was marching with the Communist Party and the Liberals. Uh, against the prorogation of Harper's government. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, well, another point point of the summer was uh, the this Oso Canadian scandal, if I can call it that. So, uh, whither we? I mean, it's it's so. I mean, there was no no violence, no 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 blood. Uh, there was some money, but certainly no sex. Uh, so why so much attention? What really happened? And is it finally over? Because it is a Canadian, Sylvia, because it is a Canadian scandal. I mean, <laughs> I mean you look what's happening in the States or in Britain, or but it's so typically, I mean, you know, it doesn't take much to have a scandal here. You know, we have sort of small-ass scandals, not large-ass scandals. So, Sylvia, small-ass like sponsorship. And spons- yeah, well. well. That was the largest. That, that was the largest, yeah. So if I just arrived from Mars in two sentences, how would you educate me about the uh, this we scandal, when, so-called? When your mother and your brother are accepting paid payment right. from an organization that your government is about to hire to run a very large program, you mm-hmm. should have the common sense to declare a conflict of interest. In this case... Our leader didn't, and that's a scandal. 
Yeah, and, but and I, that's a scandal. Well, okay. that, that's not quite a nutshell. I think it, it also has uh, quite severe implications for the WE organization itself, actually. Right. No, neither, neither did the Minister of Finance, but his mother wasn't getting money. He had taken a, a trip. And, and I, I honestly believe, actually, I believe him. I, do, I think he missed that. I, I, you know, he has a big bankroll, personally, a moral, and I, I think, in fact, that did get by him. I, I, I suspect he... But he had to know his daughter was working for the for the organization. So no, I I back off that point. Okay. Now, I, I guess looming over all this is if we reflect back to last winter, late February, early March, and a pandemic was coming on, and then certainly by the end of March uh, into April. The liberals were looking really quite toasty on the, uh, you know, things were just fine on, on the polls. They were looking very strong. Looking Conservatives have dropped. How can they regain that bounce? Can they regain that? They can they bounce looking, back? They were looking, and I'm, and I'm uh, they, they were looking pretty good up and uh, up until we. And I think, generally speaking, it, it, it's not just the federal government, but if you take a look at what's happening south of us where you have the President of the United States attacking Democratic mayors, attacking cities because their mayors belong to a different party. In yeah. Canada, uh, you know, at the federal level, the credit to the federal government and credit to the provincial governments, including the provincial government of Ontario, everyone seemed to be trying to pull together the best they could. But I think, And I think the federal government, there were mistakes made and there wasn't quick enough action, etc. But I think, generally speaking, Canadians appreciated the fact that the federal government was taking the leadership it did, it was, and also I suspect the various premiers. I gather Ford's polling is over its top right now. Uh, I can't say I'm happy about that, but I gather that's his. And, and he's done, you know, when it comes to COVID, he's done publicly. I'm very. Uh, I well, right, uh, right now. Oh. Uh, I, it's gonna, no, I don't think anybody, I, I think it's going to be very hard for the Liberals. Not so much depends, though, um, when Parliament comes back. To go right. back to the level they were at. I don't know that it's so much the Liberal Party that people are fed up with as much as it's Trudeau that people are tired of. I think he got elected on his father's coattails. People expected him to be much more like his father. It turns out he's nothing like his father. It's just been like one Canadian scandal-esque type disappointment after another. And I think people are kind of tired of him. Unfortunately, like I feel bad because... What got him elected was his father and and that legacy, and I feel like ultimately that's going to be his demise as well. Yeah, I just wanted to touch in on some of the polling. Uh, um, we've seen consistently that, that the Liberals did receive a bomb during the pandemic, and even and even now they're still they're still ahead and they're still in a comfortable six points today. Yeah. Comfortable yeah. minority minority territory. Tories on the way down. NDP seems to be rising. And and we'll see. You know, it's it's always interesting when you you, you kind of hope for the best. And my my someday in my lifetime, I'd, I'd love to see a, a liberal government with a minority with the opposition being the NDP someday. You someday. may well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how about, listen, Sean, you should aim higher. What about an NDP government with a liberal minority? <laughs> Liberal, I'm waiting for the end of the Liberal Party for that. <laughs> so what is the current state of the 
election rumors out there? I mean, are people talking about it, or is it another one of these, how should we say, media uh, buzzes that has buzzed away? As I said earlier, I, I don't think I don't think we'll know. Uh, I don't think there'll be a staff. I think we'll wait and see what happens in New Brunswick for one thing. Uh, they, they called the staff the staff election there. They didn't have to. They did. This is the middle of a pandemic, you know, and let's see how that plays out. And then in October, I think the end of October is an election in Saskatchewan in the middle of a pandemic. I don't think anybody, I don't suspect, Sean, the NDP want a snap election. I don't think anybody does. No, I don't think anybody right. does. I agree. Right. I, don't know, I don't know that, that generally speaking, people have the capacity for an election right now. Everybody's just still trying to get through this pandemic and get their feet back on the ground. I don't know that people would be that receptive to even just the spending that it would take to run an election right now. I think whoever 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 start whoever ferments it will pay a price. Right. Now the liberals are getting some grief for the deficit. I mean we are we Canada the Canadian Canadian government is running up, you know, a bill. Uh, how I mean, not how important is this, but how significant is this? You know, Sylvia, I remember you, you and I had a discussion about wartime spending and that how the war came and suddenly everyone had money and, you know, yeah. life went on. Well, uh, Sean wants to address this. Sure. Hold on. Well, I'll let, I'll let Sylvia do the facts and I'll do the speculation. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. You know, I, I'm of the belief that that I think that uh, when we come out the end of this, we're going to be looking to international partners, and we're going to be looking at some of those those large organizations and talking about about massive debt relief. I think across the across the G7, G20, some sort of of formula that way. And I think that's that's where you you look to the relationships that I think were that some would say were were were, were built by Christian Freeland in the in the role in, in foreign affairs. But also the history of Canada as a major international player and, and to an extent, as much as I dislike our international monetary policies, I think that that's going to be the place where a lot of this comes out in the wash. Um, there's going to be some sort of program to deal with the international debt. Canada's debt is but a fraction of what other countries are taking in and uh, taking on. And, and I think it's going to be a really interesting way that the world deals with the financial impacts of this. I think, you know, we're talking about that people needed help. And I, yeah. think, I think people are willing to forgive the deficit. Uh, I think a lot of people will be because everybody needed needed help. Mm-hmm. And you're yeah. not going to do that without spending money. Yeah. And I, I think most people, you know, appreciate that, I think. Sure, Jen. You, you can't have it both ways. I mean, I think that, that the financial aid came. I don't know of anybody that doesn't know somebody that partook in some sort of government financial aid that was being, yeah, exactly, right, that was being um, handed out. So you can't have it both ways. Like, it, there's going to be a deficit. There just is. There's going to be that. I was about to say I didn't, but I got that three hundred dollars that everybody else there got. There you go. There you go. Yes, yes. I think everybody, in some way, shape, or form, benefited at, at some point. You know. Sure, Sean. Just to tie into what what Jenny is saying too, everybody was was everybody knows somebody or was somebody who participated in one of these relief programs, whether you're a small business or a big business, 
or, you know, single mothers mm-hmm. and, and families and students receiving in on this. And I think a lot of the times when we look at sort of the uh, deficit hawks, the Pierre Poliviers who like to eviscerate government on bylines and spending, mm-hmm. it's because the average Canadian does not know what it went to. And I think here we have a situation where uh, Canada can come out and look at the big picture of what our financial situation is and actually see that, you know what, I don't care about the deficit because this helped my mom out or this helped my wife out or this helped, you know, so-and-so. And we're able to to really quantify that large number, you know, right. however, however that comes out in the wash. There's not going to be as much of blowback. Like if if it was 13 months ago and Bombardier got a couple million billion dollars, it's going to be a different sort of thing. Right. And, and I think people are going to be more forgiving of that. Okay. Well, thank you so much. We're down here. So Jenny, Sean, and Sylvia, thanks so much for joining me for this panel discussion. Uh, you've been listening to Pints and Politics. So until next week, uh, this is Bill Templeman. 